say, O mountain of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, to the hills, to the ravines, and to the valleys. Indeed I, even I, will bring a sword against you, and I will destroy your high places. Then your altar shall be desolate, your incense altar shall be broken, and I will cast down your slain men before your idols. And I will lay the corpses of the children of Israel before their idols. And I will scatter your bones all around the altar. All your dwelling places in the city shall be laid waste, and the high places shall be desolate, so your altars may be laid waste and made desolate, your idols may be broken and made to cease, your incense altars may be cut down, and your works may be abolished. The slain shall fall in your midst, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So set your face toward the mountains of Israel. What did they do on the high places of Israel? Absolutely. So he's speaking against the mountains, against these high places, and he talks about the sword he's going to bring and destroy their high places, their altars, their incense altars, their idols, you know, the whole nine yards. You look at that and you realize the Israelites have made a considerable investment in idolatry. They were very committed. Perhaps they were very sincerely committed. But they were wrong. I mean, just because somebody is really um, devoted to their religion, they may make sacrifices, you know, maybe spends a lot of money in it. That doesn't mean they're right. We need to reflect on those ideas. That, you know, we tend to think, well, they're so sincere. They're, they're people who are so committed to what they believe in. Isn't that wonderful? Well, it's not wonderful if what they believe in isn't right. You know, if you were skydiving, wouldn't you double, trickle, triple, and quadruple check the parachutes? I mean, you know, if, it, if I'm jumping out of a plane at whatever altitude, well, in the first place, I, you couldn't pay me enough to do that, hardly. <laughs> You can try it. I mean, I might go, you know, for some price, but but if I was going to do it, uh, you know, you just want to you want to do every safety precaution you could have because that's a life or death thing. There's no way you're going to jump out of a plane and survive it if you don't have a parachute that's working. You know, why not in serving God? Why do people just swallow? Anything, any doctrine, any belief, any God, and, 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 uh, you know, it's, it's like, that's so foolish not to really verify it when it's our eternal life and death. And, and so they, they've committed themselves, but to what? And so God's going to clear the land of all this wicked rebellion, all these idols and high places and altars and incense altars. And, 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 and that's, you have to think about, you know, the, the environment that the Israelites lived in. I mean, you can think of, of neighbors who would have thought, you know, how in the world can you worship God without an idol, without an image? I mean, what are you going to worship anyway? <laughs> you know, it, it's harder for us. I mean, because we don't generally see people, you know, worshiping with images, especially in this part of the country. Uh, so it doesn't make a lot of sense. It made a lot of sense to them because that's what everybody did. And, and yet God is, is just revolted by it. And so he's got the, the dead bodies 
of these worshipers just there in front of their idols. You know, all their bones just laying out there. You know, which is like um, the idols can't even defend their own worshipers in front of their own altars? What kind of idols is that? Well, about the only kinds there are. Dead ones that are useless and worthless. Now, his word for idols is uh, not exactly uh, complimentary. Uh, the, the, the word is, uh, you know, using a rather impolite term for uh, sheep droppings. That's what he calls the idols. Uh, he has no good thing to say about them. And uh, it's very demeaning. There's going to be... It's going to get way worse in Ezekiel. In fact, our translations of Ezekiel use a lot of euphemism at times. Trying to make it a little less revolting and shocking and almost pornographic in some spots. But the, the point of that is their wickedness was shocking and revolting and pornographic. You know, and so if God's going to describe it, really, using some pretty vulgar terms is about the only accurate way to describe it. So, so Ezekiel's very forceful in that. Now again, to a, a pluralistic society like ours, Ezekiel's words of judgment seem so harsh. You know, we value interfaith dialogue and, uh, you know, acceptance of all faiths and all uh, belief systems and, and want to affirm uh, those things for others. And, uh, you know, it, it would be hard for people to believe that we would believe that God's judgment could come upon anybody because of just differing religious viewpoints and practices. I mean, they're religious too. They just follow their own way. Everybody's got the right to their own worship system. How can you say God's going to judge because they have a different faith than what yours is? And all that kind of stuff. Well, go back, right back to Ezekiel. I mean, what's he judging them for? They have a different faith. They're worshiping these idols and the incense altars and all this kind of stuff. And God won't put up with it. And so he says, your idols will be broken, brought to an end. The incense altars cut down. Their works blotted out. The slain will fall among you and you will know that I'm the Lord. More than 60 times in the book, he comes to that conclusion. He wants to show him who he is. You'll know that I'm the Lord. It requires some pretty drastic measures. But as he brings down Jerusalem and, and the idol worshipers, they'll know who the Lord was. That's the message of warning God gave the watchman, and he delivers it now to the people in exile, telling them about the future of their people back in Jerusalem. Comments and questions? Brad. Yeah, they were, certainly were not revering God, and if they were, they would preach and they would serve the Lord. Robert? Well, you mentioned a moment ago, uh, you mentioned people who are really sincere and really involve themselves into what they believe. Because even Samuel even said Saul is better to obey than sacrifice. Yes. Now, that's not to say there isn't a sacrifice in being Christian, but as we so often see with uh, the Lord today, disobedience aside, 
it's a lot more complicated than what God ever generates to you. Yes. Yeah, certainly God is not interested in just religion. He wants us to do his will. Brian. Depends on how you count a generation. Josiah died in 609. Ezekiel starts his preaching in about 592, so about 17 years later. Right. So they've gone right back. Yes. Because they didn't change their heart. You know, they, they returned to him with deception, but not with their whole heart, Jeremiah 3.10. You know, so you can decree that you get rid of the idols, but you can't get them out of the people's hearts. Yeah. Good point. Other thoughts? Yes. I think it's interesting and encouraging, even in the midst of all this harsh judgment, at least according to us, harsh, that uh, in chapter 5, verse 9, he says, uh, something that I have never done before and never will do again, that even in the midst of this terrible thing that's going to happen that is totally justified, that God is reassuring the people afterwards, this isn't going to just be a regular occurrence, but I'm going to come out, hopefully, and just wonder and take care of you guys like this. Yeah, yeah. But though even that is saying, you know, there can never be anything worse than what I'm doing to you now. Jake? Uh, in Ephesians 4, verse 14, Paul talks to the Ephesians saying, as a result, we only long to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. You know, that's definitely one thing that we can be uh, prone to is if we just kind of accept what our nation or the people, you know, our cultures and things around us that we're amidst in uh, just feed us. You know, that's what Israel did. They just like they saw these nations and like, oh, well, that seems, you know, like something that I ought to be doing, and so let's do that. And uh, we can today, you know, even in, uh, uh, in the 21st century church now, you know, even today we can be carried, wind, carried away by different winds and just be when you think of me, you know, like a feather, you just toss what, what we can do. Right. Yeah, we need com- conviction and commitment to the truth. Absolutely. Okay. Yes, David. Two of God's identities, well, actually three, uh, are, are wrapped up in this. He's the God of Israel. He's the God of the mountains and the hills. And then in, in chapter 4 of Judges, he's the gods of the ravines and valleys. Now, this was the land that was supposed to be his, his right, his people worshiping him, and how these idols have taken his place, just how tragic that is, and that's where his wrath comes from, is that the mountains that were supposed to be his to be praised upon, there's high places desecrating him, and his people have des- desecrated themselves. Yes. Good point. Okay. How about uh, verses uh, 8 to 14?
by the way, I keep forgetting to say, but when you are making comments, everybody's saying if you speak louder, they, more people could hear you. So it's really hard, uh, you know, because you're going to talk to me, but if you're close to me, you really need to project way beyond me to uh, everybody around you, if you can. Uh, look at verse uh, 8. God's going to leave a remnant. Where? Yeah, the remnants among the people who are scattered, not the ones who are left in Jerusalem. They are going to have a change of heart, experience a spiritual transformation. Where? Among the nations to which they're carried captive. Of all things, while they're in captivity, that's when they're going to turn back to God. Now, they're going to recognize that God's been hurt by their adulterous hearts and their eyes. They're going to end up recognizing that the character defect behind their sin, unfaithful hearts, lustful eyes that long for their idols. The problem was a deep one. And they're going to come to see how bad they were. He says, and they will loathe themselves in their own sight for the evils which they've committed, for all their abominations. That's something we're going to come to a few times in Ezekiel. Again, seems to really fly in the face of contemporary views of self-esteem. You should never loathe yourself for anything. Well, there's, there's some senses in which we need to be careful about that. But on the other hand, how have they behaved? Really, really badly. They had betrayed the Lord. How should they feel about themselves? You know, some sort of false self-loathing would be inappropriate. But to loathe themselves for how they treated the Lord is a part of the conviction of sin and the humbling ourselves and the grieving of that that leads us to repentance and restoration. We don't stay in that state. We all allow God's forgiveness to encourage us and lift us up. But, but we have to really feel the weight of our sins. You think about Psalm 51. You know, David certainly wasn't laughing off his sins, nor should he have. He ought to have been grieved and convicted. And uh, so that's what's going to happen to them. And then they'll know that I'm the Lord. And that's why I brought this upon them. So he again says, this is the horrible stuff that's going to happen. You know, people are going to die. Their slain are going to be all around their idols. And it's going to be a judgment that's going to go from the wilderness to Dibla. Now the wilderness seems to be a reference to the south, the Negev or Negev. Dibla, we have no idea what Dibla would mean, but it may be, Hebrew letters were really easy to miscopy. You know, because they differ by such little bitty points, uh, little bitty, just, uh, almost like hyphen kind of things, little, little marks. And so it may be that Dibla was a miscopying of Ribla. Now Ribla would be way up in the north, up in the Aramean territory. So I think he's probably saying from one end of the country to the other, God's going to destroy them. He's going to punish them. No corner of the country would be immune to the sword of the Lord that is going to come against them. Comments and thoughts? Yes, what's...
Yes, absolutely. I mean, when we treat sin lightly, we don't repent. We don't humble ourselves. We don't acknowledge the depth of what we've done against God. That's an important part. I mean, the reality is we've really done badly. And and to acknowledge that is, is real. Yeah. So I think God is known by what he does and that God's judgments in this case really reveal who he is. He is the one who's the Lord, not the idols. And, you know, you you can see a lot about God's character, his justice and his holiness and things like that through these judgments. So I think everything God does ends up being something that's seeking to show them who he really is. Other thoughts? Okay, uh, Andrew. Going on with that idea, uh, knowing that I am the Lord, that's also what um, is said in Deuteronomy, um, that I brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and you will know that I am the God, because I'm the Lord, because I did this. Um, we've got two completely different things. Uh, showing that this is God. One, bringing them out of Egypt and, and helping them, and now showing his wrath and punishing them. And it's just really interesting to me that that, that same wording is used into two ideas that would almost seem to be contrasted. Mm-hmm. Very good. Rich? Similar with the emphasis upon the word Lord, uh, not merely God, but that I am the keeper of the covenant. 
and therefore I'm invoking the covenant against you. Amen. Good point. Dustin? concept of the remnant and if I remember my history correct Ezekiel was carried off from Jerusalem to Babylonian captivity and he would have no doubt been a big part of developing this remnant who was prophesying and preaching but yet I've always thought you know like the remnant as a whole went back to Jerusalem but he never left Babylon if I remember correctly yeah I don't know even how long he lived I don't know if he lived till that died before the remnant yeah, left yeah who knows You know, if, if we are almost celebrating what a wild person we were and what exploits we had and so forth, we're certainly not loathing that. We ought to be ashamed of what we did and not celebrating it. Good thoughts. Helpful to have the, the sharing of those. Uh, chapter 7, uh, 1 through 9. 